0: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom
1: and freedom. Today, we are really, really excited to have Regina Gobina-san. She is a life business strategist. Um, She transforms ordinary CEOs into extraordinary leaders, and she's been doing this for a very long time. She's been working and saving failing businesses for almost 20 years. Um, Regina, we'd love to kick it off with a story so we could talk, can we talk about a specific company that was going through some challenges that you saved and, and what that process looked like?
2: Absolutely. So one of my best, I think, stories is the construction company, pretty big commercial construction um, and we actually took him through two chapter 11 bankruptcies. The CEO, uh, is an overachiever loves to push the boundaries to see how much, you know, how much more we can get out of life. And certain lessons weren't learned because ultimately the profitability of the company is just this, the, the reflection of the des- decisions the CEO makes and ultimately went through a second chapter 11, had to reorganize again and they're at about 12 to 50, uh, 10 to 12 million dollars annually at this point and very profitable especially for the construction industry like big margins
0: wow that's a big turnaround from bankruptcy to 10 to 12 million in is that revenue or is that profit
2: revenue annual revenue yeah
0: very very cool so take us through your background a little bit i mean coming in and saving big companies is no small feat a lot of knowledge strategic knowledge take us through like what led you to get to the point where you felt comfortable guiding these businesses
2: you know what's interesting i don't have formal training and education none i barely graduated high school and when i took a two-year college degree fashion merchandising just to get my parents off my back school wasn't for me i think i got suspended more times than i attended the school Uh, And that's starting middle school just wasn't for me, but I have natural gifts and abilities, God-given gifts and abilities. I understand people and I understand money. And the bottom line is, and I think this is so important to understand, I don't care what you're offering, what you're selling, where your business is located. Every single business only has two main components, which is people and money. And those are the things I, I just naturally have a gift and understanding. And at some point, I got a job as an accounts payable clerk at a company that was going through a restructuring. They were like, at the end of it, the plan was approved. And the man who was helping them ended up being my mentor. I was working with him for 17 years. And the guy who actually hired me, who was going through the organization, was so good that my mentor took him on to help him support the companies. And when I realized what they're doing, I was 24 years old. I went back for six months. I said, I'm not an accounts payable clerk. Like, I do... 40 hours worth a week in like five hours, literally. I'm just not an employee personality. And I badgered them for six months to give me a chance. I said, give me one client. And if you don't like what I'm capable of, you'll never hear from me again, except for quietly do my job. And that client stayed with me. Um, it was one of the first in companies that established uh, the, the photo industry, like uh, paparazzi celebrity in Beverly Hills. He was the first one actually. I was with him for five years and now over a hundred companies into it. So that's how it started.
1: Yeah. So this is really cool. So you mentioned that you had no educational background. This is just something that you were naturally good at. And it took you six months of asking the people that had the opportunity for you um, to finally grant it to you. So like what motivated you to keep asking for six months in order to finally achieve the goal of getting that first client that was obviously a landmark moment for you?
2: I knew I belonged there. I, I just had a knowing. I knew I wasn't leaving. And uh, I kept asking constantly, but I was irritating him to the point where I knew I had to be really, really, really good at my job, taking care of his business, or he can pro- probably fire me. Like, I was irritating. I was like, I'm not leaving. Like, this is not going to end. Just give me a client. I said, wouldn't it be easier just to give me a client already? And they're like, fine, one customer. And five years into it, and uh, it was an amazing experience but, um, really just knowing what I want and going after, I think a lot of people know what they want. They just give up too quickly. Like I wasn't throwing in that, like there was no, um, if I don't get it, like there was no, if I don't get it, this was, I'm going to get it just a matter of
0: when. Love this. So we hope with this podcast to inspire people to take action, particularly in the investing sense, to build a life of freedom and purpose. I love the fact that you started this episode with, hey, I didn't really like school. You know, I'm not super academic, et cetera, et cetera. And yet you're probably for sure a highly intelligent woman. I think a lot of people find themselves in that realm where it's like maybe their sense of genius or intelligence doesn't fit in the normal academic box. So what I want to try and do here is illustrate in a way where maybe people that have a similar sense of genius can understand what it feels like. You mentioned that you had this sense of, like this is it for me. Can you dive deep into that sense of emotion and maybe describe like how did you know it was right?
2: You know, um I'm highly intuitive and when I was invited to an interview, uh the moment I walked in and the place was a dump. I mean, I'm used to working like in banks and high rises prior to that, like private ATM companies and all that stuff. The place was honestly just a dump. It was a nationwide sign manufacturing company and because it had a lo- uh, a fabrication plant it was just an industrial area not the best you probably should get out before the sun goes down one of those places but i knew and i came home that day um and i told my ex-husband i said the worst location i've ever been to in my life but i know that i belong She said why i said i have no idea but i know that i'm gonna go get there and um i came in for two more interviews and I did very well. And he's like, you're hired. And it's it's just the knowing. Like I said, I think we all have a knowing. I think we just quit on ourselves too quickly. We all know what, what fits well for us. We all do.
0: Love this. And I want to dive deeper into this. So essentially, was it, do you feel like, cause I'm attracted to challenge. Like when I see challenge, there's just something inside of me that just gets fired up and i actually have to turn it off sometimes because i see challenge everywhere and it's like you only have so many hours a day and so much mental energy to tackle problems do you feel like maybe that was it for you that you walked in and it's not this beautiful pristine bank it's a dump and you're like but this is going to be my dump i'm going to turn this thing into a pristine bank was there was some of that going on
2: no i'm not that person you know i'm not one who necessarily loves the challenge but I'm somebody who always gets what I want. And I am not the personality who wants a million things at the same time. I've only wanted things like really, really badly, maybe just a few times in my life. So I know it's not just something that got my attention. I just, I felt, it felt right. I always get what I want. And it was like, okay, I'm going to park myself here until I get it. And that was actually beginning a very challenging journey. We think that once we get what we want, that's the end of it. I'm like, you find yourself at the bottom of a pretty steep hill. Then you gotta fight for your place to stay. And I was 24. Not a lot of people paid attention to me. There was a lot of tears to my mentor. I mean, it took me 10 years probably for people to take me seriously. So, I had to go back to a lot of places where I'm 24 for for God's sakes at that time. You know, I had clients that were three times my age sometimes. I mean, how seriously would they take me? but I would go back and would go back and I would go back and things that I said would make sense and they would work and they would start paying attention. But like I fought for my place. It wasn't handed to me. Nobody really uh, made it easy for me. My mentor didn't make it easy for me. He's like, you're made of titanium. I'm going to just throw you in sink or swim. And I'm just the sink or swim personality and I always swim. And I'm grateful for that. There was no cuddling. There was just like, you're going to the fire and that was it.
1: Oh, I love everything you just said. So, I mean, you just mentioned some very, very important things, right? So it took you 10 years until you really felt like you were established and trusted. So that's a lot of time where you're putting in a lot of consistent effort and you're getting some negative feedback. And obviously you had to have the mindset to keep going. You had to have an iron will mindset. So, I mean, were there any techniques or strategies you used in order to keep your mindset rock solid or did you just have that from the get?
2: I've always had that, but I've always been very spiritually connected. And when something feels right, I just, I I just go at it. And by me being so confident in my abilities and by me being just so committed and determined and by me being accurate so many times and by me foreseeing so many problems ahead of time that people will say, well, you can't really, uh, put it in intangible No, like, you can't even tangibly show it a, on a piece of paper to us. I'm like, well, I know intuitively this is how things are going to play out. So after years of those scenarios, people just start taking a series. They're like, okay, well, if she has a feeling about something, maybe we should start paying attention. But um, I still do a lot of mindset work, to be honest with you. I think it's a necessity, emotional intelligence, mindset work. It's a daily. Before I got on here, I did like an hour's worth of it. it it's, it's a non-negotiable for me. But I think ultimately it comes down to uh, know, knowing what you want, being willing to go after it, and being able to cut the negative noise. And this is where people have a hard time doing it because their family, their mom, their dad, their wives, their husband, their friends. And I'm always very good at putting boundaries in place, even with my friends. Like this conversation is not allowed. You do you. I'm going to do me. You don't have to. You don't have to understand what I'm doing, but you have. But at least you're going to respect it. So a lot of boundaries.
0: So diving in just even a little bit deeper because we you went on this journey for 10 years and that's a long time to be on a journey where you're fighting for respect and so on and so forth so there has to be a certain level of alignment as you've mentioned that there was so some some of the you know coaches out there the NLP coaches describe alignment as feeling light some describe it as like there's a certain sense of energy that you get from the job that you don't get from other things like what would it be for you do you feel like it was just a lack of heaviness uh, an energy a curiosity, what sort of emotion would you describe most heavily with that link to knowing you're in the right place?
2: I've never walked into a company, doesn't matter how big the problem is, and did not get a download for a solution. Wow. Ever, ever, not even once. And just to say back to the fact that I had to fight for my space, so to speak, for 10 years, a lot of it was even me doubting myself, a lot of doubting myself. And what happened at some point about 12 years into it, I remember sitting at a, a, one of the meetings with the clients, my mentor was there, CPA, a CPA was there, uh, a, one of the top attorneys in California for bankruptcy was there, and the client was there, and I always feel, felt less than everybody else because they're like highly educated, and then there's me, and who is much older than me. And I've always felt this self-esteem issue. I'm just being transparent. I think it's important for people to understand. You can still get what you while you feel these things. And I remember talking to the man. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, listen, I feel like I'm less than anybody else there. He said, do you realize that while you're sitting at the table with everybody so qualified, they're wondering who is this girl with no education who can literally put a company together? He's like, at what, what point are you going to give yourself the credit? And I was like, I've really badgered myself for so many years for no reason and made myself feel terrible when people are looking at me saying, who is this girl, basically? So love. This. I think a lot of it was in my mind.
0: So you, because of such alignment, were able, even despite the limiting beliefs, despite the maybe imposter syndrome that you were experiencing, carried on. You've mentioned the word intuition a lot. And it seems very clear to me that that's a very accurate word because essentially this field that you're in allows for your version of intuition to just flourish. Like you said, you use the word download. So essentially like you walk into a situation and your brain is just so happened to be oriented in the way that these types of problems naturally fit in your wheelhouse. And so I love that. So essentially like that's how you knew it was probably the most natural form of intelligence. And that's what like, you know, there's a lot of psychologists that talk about like the greatest thing you could do when you get into business is just go into a field where you have natural skill because people who have natural skill can increase their skill 10 times more than someone with way less because the people who have to learn it, it's a lot harder. So yeah, thanks for, for diving deep on that. Like that's really, really helpful.
2: And I think you couldn't really learn the stuff that I was navigating because you can learn how to read a balance sheet. You can learn how to read a financial, you can learn how to cut pay. Like you can learn the basics, But to actually navigate the day-to-day operations, when these companies, like the suppliers, don't want to deliver, right? I I was the one who negotiated everything from the government, from the top all the way to the bottom. The suppliers, the customers are not paying. Uh, We're short on jobs. We gotta hit some numbers. We gotta. I mean, you can't learn this stuff in school. You just can't. The the daily operation of a business, you can learn the, the the big things. But the little things, you can't. It's part of life. It's like you can't learn how to live life until you live life. It's the same thing. So the natural understanding of how to negotiate everything and always make it a win-win and talk to people and navigate problems. And I function very well in chaos. I've never walked into a company. I don't care if the sky is falling. I'm the calmest person at the table. We got this. And I really believe it. I function extremely well in chaos. I know how to plug the holes fast. I know how to get buoyancy in the company. I know how to get your profitability. So I think um, when you feel like you're home at something, you got to press in. Again, people just on themselves. And again, I want to say this. It's very important. People are saying, what's my purpose? Number one, you know what your purpose is. But I think the disconnect is where people think if it's my purpose, it's supposed to be easy. I'm like, that's wrong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So you could I say love, that a hundred times, please. Yeah, that is that is yeah. spot on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love, love, love what you just said about chaos. Like you thriving in a chaotic environment. I I feel like I could relate to that in a lot of levels. Um, I would like to dig a little bit deeper into this imposter syndrome type experience that you had because obviously you were having results. You're sitting in the room with these successful people. Um, I've also dealt with imposter syndrome a bit. Was there a revelation that allowed you to get past that or was that just something that it took time and then eventually you realize what a badass you are?
2: I believe the cure for everything is taking action. The way to discredit the imposter syndrome is to continue taking action and teaching your nervous system that it's just a load of crap and you're not. Period. Action. Taking action fixes mindset issues. Taking action fixes imposter syndrome. Taking action fixes everything. I really believe in this it.
0: This is such a valuable message because there are so many kids in school today that have unbelievable intuition that they can guide amazing things in the world. The school system, you know, it obviously has to be a system so it can help a broad number of people. Focuses on tasks, rote knowledge, things like that, which are completely opposite of intuition. And so like I think whoever is listening that maybe feels disconnected from their workplace, disconnected from school, but they know that they have ability to have keen insights, like, I think this is just a tremendous message. Hopefully this message will inspire a whole swath of people to go from like what you did, no training to managing some humongous companies. Um, and so, if, you go ahead.
2: No, I just want to add something to this. And this is, I'm glad you pointed it out. It's like, I want even the kids you talked about, like, don't discredit what uh, what feels right to you. Like, don't discredit what, don't disvalidate What, you know, again, we all know that's the thing that just boggles my mind. We all know, but a lot of us are in such self-preservation mode. What if I fail? What if I this? But so what? But so what? You know, somebody asked me at a podcast interview a few days ago, like, what's your biggest fear? I said, I've never been afraid of failure. I'm just that person. So I'll do anything. But uh, my biggest fear is getting to the end of my life. And God show me what I could have been. I mean, that's tragic. If I compare one to the other, I mean, that to me is that to me is the ultimate failure. Everything else is fixable. And I always ask myself, what's the downside? So if it doesn't work out, what's the downside? And the reality is my checklist, as long as I'm healthy, as long as my kids are healthy, like nobody dies from this, we're going to rock and roll. We're going to see what happens. That's literally my checklist. That's my filter. Nobody dies. Fantastic. So we're going to try.
1: Oh, I love, love, love um, the reference you had there. Like you don't want to end your life feeling like you could have accomplished more, or if, you know, you, you were confronted with a heavenly person to say, Hey, you did not accomplish everything you could have. Um, I relate to that strongly. I've had the same exact, um, revelation. So that's, I mean, just, that's all super tremendous. Your mindset is obviously in a super amazing spot. So, I mean, I would love to take like, what are, let's say the most common mistakes that business owners make?
2: So it typically, companies start to fail. The biggest mistake is uh, the knowledge, the needs of the company outgrow the knowledge of the CEO. Period. So the CEO knows this much. The company, while the company is here, everything is fine. But as the needs of the company ex- exceed the needs, uh, the knowledge of the CEO, now they're making decisions from a deficit. So when it slides down, it slides down all the way to the bottom. Number one. Believe it or not, a lot of small and mid-sized businesses, the CEO has no clue how to read their financials. I had a client ask me once, why is everything in red? I'm like, wrong question. That's a wrong question. Why is everything in red? Forget the fact that it's in red, but the fact that you can't read why it's in red, that's a really wrong question. So let's let's fix that first so you understand that. Uh, number one, number, number two. Number three, they don't have the funds for a proper infrastructure. They have the funds to hire a bookkeeper for $15, $20 an hour. A bookkeeper at $15, $20 now is data entry. Somebody who's qualified can look at the purchase order and say, listen, we're being delivered, I don't know, a hundred pounds more of, of steel than, than we actually ordered. We're being charged for this. The client's short paid. The retention is outstanding. This doesn't make sense. The margins are going down. The profitability is sliding down. They don't have the, the funds to hire somebody who can actually do that to them. And put a cohesive picture and put it on their desk so they can make profitable decisions. So they're making decisions really on the fly on a daily basis in survival mode. They don't have the infrastructure for that. Um, They don't know the numbers, uh, the knowledge base of the company, the knowledge, the needs of the company outgrow. And the biggest, the worst thing, because almost every single company that I've worked with had hard money loans in their balance sheet. They throw money at the problem. And the moment you throw money at the problem without first understanding the solution, now you have elevated yourself to a higher point of failure with more money. You're still going down, but you're going to fall further and harder and you're going to be faced on the floor. Because if a hard money loan extends you alone, it means you're no longer bankable. If you're not bankable, there are bigger problems than a hard money loan. So that's a big one. And the hard money loans, believe it or not, some of them go 60, 70, 80%. And while it's um, against the law, they they disguise themselves as merchant uh, merchant advances and things of that nature. And, like, I think New York and Florida are really big on protecting them. I don't know if Florida, I think New York for sure, because I've had some litigations on that. And they rub one uh, hard money loan into the other. So they're compounding interest on top of interest on top of interest. And so when you throw money at the problem, without a solution, you've now just given yourself a higher point to fall from. So those are some of the most common.
1: Wow, this is so absolutely tremendous. I feel like we could dive deeper into every one of those subjects. Um, I think the first one is a very, very important one though. So you said there's a gap between the CEO knowledge and what the company needs. Um, So if a CEO finds himself in that position, What is the solution? Do they gain more knowledge to be able to direct the company or do they find a coach or do they find somebody else to fulfill their role?
2: They can't gain knowledge fast enough. It's not possible because as the company grows, uh, the needs of the departments grow. The knowledge bank, you can't gain enough knowledge in every single aspect. Ask for help. And I have to tell you, honestly, women are much better at asking for help than men. <laughs> women will ask for help faster. Men, it's more about ego-driven. I got this. I'll fix this. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had to sit through where the husband has to tell his wife and it never goes well because she thought everything is fine. And he's like, honey, we're going bankrupt. The kid's college funds are depleted. And the home you like so much, well, the bank may actually take it. But women, were, we're more the moment you... Um, challenge our survival, our safety, we're like, where's the help? Tell me what to do. Especially mothers, especially single moms. I've seen some single moms, they don't even let it uh, get too far. They're like, my hand is up, I need help.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank goodness for GPS. So guys don't have to feel unreasonable about asking for directions, not asking for directions. So this is an interesting point. So let's talk to small businesses. Like small and medium businesses, so they're getting off the ground. They don't have a ton of money. They're they're maybe like somewhat profitable, but certainly not profitable to hire a CEO. They recognize they're hitting some insane roadblocks because their knowledge is, you know, you know, inferior. But they can't hire a CEO. So, what does that company do? Do they do they shutter? Do they bring on a CEO as a partner? What would you recommend?
2: The least you they should be doing is get yourself into a mastermind with other entrepreneurs where you can have. Uh, other people to balance these conversations on because I've seen a lot of CEOs trying to have these conversations with their bookkeeper and, and managers and things like that. That's a whole different animal. That's a whole different animal. Employees and employee. they're a whole different mindset. They don't understand holding the bag for everything. They don't understand the liability of a business. They don't really understand what it's like to put, to leverage your house, to put, to pull the money out to, it's a whole different conversation at the least have a community of, of people and no, it's, it shouldn't be a, a free community. Free doesn't do anything for anybody. Paid. You got to put skin in the game. You got to hurt. You got to fill the pinch. At least put yourself into a mastermind, where at least monthly or quarterly you get together with people. There's some sort of accountability. You set some goals. A lot of small business owners, owners, they're on a day, day-to-day survival basis. I need to get money in so I can pay Bob, so I can pay John, so I can pay Mary. So it's it's constant cycle. So there is no structure. There is no a quarterly goal. There's no annual goal because they're constantly in survival mode on this hamster wheel. Structure is important. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to be on a hamster wheel. It's complete chaos. So at the minimum have um, a mastermind that you part- that you invest in. If you can get a mentor, at least have quarterly meetings with them. And then maybe a monthly check-in or a biweekly weekly check-in But the longer you think you can do this by yourself, the longer it's going to take you to get to where you want to go. It's just life, you know, it's just how business operates.
3: Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of 7-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom.
0: Let's talk about some, some parameters. Like what is your methodology system for determining if a CEO is not knowledgeable enough?
2: Well, first of all, you can look at their financial statement and know right away how they're making decisions. You can look at their balance sheet and know exactly how they're making decisions, fear or logic, Uh, clearly. You look at their balance sheet and you can immediately know if they are, even I can look at somebody's receivables and know how they are, how outstanding they are because they can't even collect. They're afraid to ask their clients for money. I mean, like even these things like hard money loans, Terrible decision maker, obviously. So lower margins than the industry holds. Clearly, you're afraid to lose the sales, so you're not asking for. You're supposed to be. So things like that. There is always a huge, a huge sell. Literally, you can look at the numbers. Uh, by t- by looking at the CEO, just having a conversation with them. That's also part of it.
1: Very cool. So I mean, I was looking at your LinkedIn before, and I think you chose the wording of this very, very intentionally. So I want to ask you about this. You say that you take ordinary CEOs and you transform them into extraordinary leaders, I think there's a reason why you took the CEO term out and you changed it to leader. So can we jump into that?
2: Yeah, um, I think a great leader is somebody who can actually lead the organization. If you're just a good CEO, if you can just make a sale, if you're good with that, it's one thing. But if you can't lead people, quality talent, quality, high caliber talent is never going to work with you. If you can't lead people, if you can't lead management, because it all comes from the top and people, this is what CEOs, a lot of times they don't understand. They're like, this person is in charge and this person, yes, they can be in charge, but it starts with you. It starts with you and it ends with you. And if you cannot lead yourself, if you cannot lead your employees, you will never, if you cannot lead organization, how are you going to even lead a high, pro, a big project for your client? If you can't control your home, you cannot. You like you. You shouldn't be touching someone else's business. If you cannot lead yourself, you cannot leave your household. Let's let's bring it. Let's let's drill it down. If you can even lead yourself in your home, forget the business. You can't lead the business, and you can't lead your customers, and you can't lead good conversations with your suppliers, and it it all just trickles trickles down. So, uh, it's to teach somebody to be a CEO yeah, we can talk about this, but to be a leader, to talk to people. I've seen a lot of CEOs who suck at having hard conversations with their employees. And I believe that you can say the hardest things to people and still leave them with dignity and still leave them with respect and still leave the table with them saying, thank you. I've said some very hard things to people and they've actually said thank you to me because of the way that I said, it. it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So that's leadership. If you can't communicate well, it's game over. How are you going to talk to your clients? How are you going to talk to your suppliers, to your employees, to your spouse, to your kid? I mean, I think leadership starts with, with self-leadership first, and that, that's the most, then the CEO.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, I could ascertain from what you're saying um, that it appears likely that you think leadership is the most important trait that a CEO should have and develop. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. Because if you can lead yourself, if you cannot lead uh, people in your organization, you can't make money. I don't care how good you are at, making, at doing business and the transactional stuff, but money is all in the relationships. If you don't have good relationships with your team, they're not going to want to work for you or they're not going to want to put out quality work for you. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole. Nobody wants to work like that. Uh, your clients are not going to stick around for too long and your suppliers are not going to help you put your fires out when, because from cha- coming from chapter 11, there's a lot of fires to put out. And the reason I'm the one who always negotiate everything with everybody is I understand how to create a win-win and make people feel good, even in the worst of situations. If I can't do that, who cares if I'm a good business person, if I cannot have a leadership quality conversation to where people actually want to give me things that save the client. You see what I mean? So I think it, leadership, it the money is always in the relationship, bottom line. And I think people really skip over that. They look at the mechanical side of it. I'm like, no, it's the organics. Money money is very organic. Money is very organic. Money is just a thing. But before you get the thing in your hands, a human being has to be willing to give it to you. And it's based on the relationship.
0: So I want to do a case study. I want to do a deep dive into this. Obviously, for the sake of protecting confidentiality, your clients, integrity, et cetera, we can remove names. Even if you want to remove industry, that's fine. But can you take us through a situation, describe the financials of the business, describe the leadership talent of the leader, describe the things that you were able to see, how you work through that, the types of conversations you had, and give us the resolve of it.
2: So we can still stay with the same, uh, with the same company uh, that I talked about. So great CEO, this is going back to leadership.
0: And just to clarify, when you say great CEO, the way that you were using it earlier, it's like it's a person that's able to negotiate well, to understand margins, understand financials.
2: Yeah, great CEO understands the the overall, the mechanics uh, with a short fuse. So what kind of relationships are you gonna have, right? So that's part of the leadership. Uh, We come in, the numbers are upside down and the guy is just an overachiever. And I remember telling him, I said, listen, you're an overachiever you're an athlete that was like a, on the other side of the second bankruptcy was like let's go let's push this one i'm like no that's not it that's a, i know it's a three million dollar job but you shouldn't be touching this job we're just not equipped to facilitate a three million dollar job and i said exactly why and uh i said i said i'm i said listen I know you're an overachiever i know you're an athlete i said i'm not an athlete i said you set up these obstacle courses these hoops of fire i said i'm not athletic at all like i don't want to jump through the hoops of fire you set up for me because i'm on the front line negotiating everybody i'm like no like stop so we started it was about great ceo now great leader navigating people having the conversations slowing down all of the process because like go 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 i'm like we can't facilitate the go 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 there's no infrastructure to facilitate at the rate that you're moving right so it was scaling it down. Sometimes it's really scaling it down and building it back up. And people are so afraid to what if we scale it down? What if we lose the clients? What if this? What if that? I'm like, listen, half of your clients need to be fired to begin with. They're not good customers. They don't pay on time. They constantly complain. They're a in the ass. They don't sign their. I'm like, great, let's scale down. Let's weed out. Let's just sift through what's supposed to stay here so we would scale down and rebuild slowly but surely but in a profitable way increasing the margins much higher than the industry stands for starting to get deposits like we started to uh, get really big deposits on construction deposits people don't do that you haven't produced anything what are you charging me for he wasn't supposed to take jobs on without deposits so i negotiate the mobilization the deposits cash up front kind of have a safety blanket all that stuff but it came down to scaling down teaching him to be a better CEO, to move a little bit slower, but because it's a good thing in this particular case. Sometimes you want it faster, sometimes slower. And being more aware to say this was a big one, because he loved to say we have 40 jobs on the board. I'm like, if 30 of the jobs are going to bleed us dry, I don't want them personally. I'd rather have 10, calm, profitable, maybe even we need less people to facilitate but three times the margin, less chaos, there's shorter turnaround, because to me in certain areas, especially construction, for example, th- and this is, this is part of CEO and leadership. Uh, we were teaching him to, I always have conversations with him, let's listen, a job is not necessarily a good job. Taking a job that's $300,000, sometimes overall is actually less profitable than a $30,000 job that you can turn over in five days versus three months. You get your cash in the bank. There is less room for for bleeding on on the jobs. There is less room for mistakes. So it's time, money, all that stuff. So teaching CEOs how to look at all of the aspects and all of the moving pieces at the same time and see a global picture. The problem is why I really stand for mentorship is when you're in it, it's very hard to see the global picture. It's actually impossible because you're emotionally attached. The biggest benefit of a mentor, we're not emotionally attached. Emotional decisions are very expensive. I can come in with zero emotion and say, "Okay, let us shuffle the pieces around." A CEO and a leader—they are—they're atta- they're emotionally attached to everything. So we had to work on that. We had to scale down. We had to teach him which jobs to take, which jobs not to take, uh, because for him it was about the number. It's an ego thing. I understand. I'm a woman. I'm, I don't have an ego problem. So all of that and we just became profitable 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 and like 30 35 percent margins are not really the norm in construction industry but we hit them with the construction companies we work with because of all those things that was a long answer but uh, i think it's important to say all those things
1: oh i mean it was a fantastic answer so i mean i think everything like i could take this in 20 different directions now i have so many questions um I I love that you said that this guy was an overachiever. So I'm just getting this image. When you say he's an overachiever, he was probably involved in too many projects that were too different from each other, right? So he had so many different avenues, I'm guessing, that there was a lack of focus, which created a lack of an ability to systematize and create processes. And he didn't have an ideal avatar for a client, it sounds like. Am I following everything correctly or –
2: you know, it's interesting in this case, he did, we had a client because it's very specific sort of construction. So we had a client, we had all those things, but he was uh, more like, even because he's so even athletic, it was how much more can I lift? How much more can I push myself? How much further can I run? It was that how much, and I'm like, I'm not an, I'm not an athlete. I'm like, you have to stop putting me through these obstacle courses you're creating. So it was more about, I got another job and another job. And I'm like, just stop, just slow down. Like, Just fire the customers, no more jobs, slow down. Let's facilitate. Let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the time. I always like to look at time versus money because the construction is funny industry. The longer the job, the more opportunities for it to bleed, especially if it's more labor loaded versus material loaded. Material loaded is easy. Material is material. But if it's like 60, 70%, even 50 labor loaded, and it's a year long or six months, you're probably going to be in trouble because people are people. They slow down, they speed up. So he, we did have an avatar we did have all those things but by nature it was about more 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 but it's fantastic when you establish the infrastructure to support so you're moving with the more and at the same time you're building the infrastructure to support more but if the infra- if you're moving two steps ahead and the infrastructure is always a step behind now two steps behind a three it's compounding being behind it's a problem because more means more in all areas of the business, facilitating it, the ins and outs. It means everything is more, more payroll, more people, more reports, more clients, more documents, more releases, more contracts, more negotiation. It's not just a job, it's more of everything.
0: This is so fun. I am enjoying this so, so much. So what I want to do is take it in the area of the short fuse element. And I mean, just hearing what you're saying, right? This is like the kind of guy I have just envisioned like, it's all about the gains, you know, it's like the guy, I don't know what his physical makeup looks like, but I I just picture him as the guy that's taking all kinds of protein powders, you know, and he's like probably this huge buff guy. I could be totally wrong, but uh, let's talk about the short fuse. So when you got in, and you stood firm and said, "Hey, look, let's—we're not going this way. We're not going to be all about gains. We're going to be about scaling back, creating this thing right." Did that automatically fix the short fuse? Because I'm—I'm wondering, did the short fuse come from being overwhelmed and too involved, or was there a process that had to go through to create him into a great leader?
2: No, the short fuse was directed at me because I told him to stop doing what he's doing. So the short fuse was directed at me, but I can—I I can facilitate it. I can tell him to stand down, or I'm not really worried about it. But um, I'm sorry, ask me the question again. I don't know why I lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry.
0: Totally. Yeah, so I was, I was just curious about the short fuse because at the, as we began this you know case study, it was really like, okay, so it seems like there was two problems, right? There's the problem of too much, margins aren't going to be good, business is going to crash and burn, and it did, right, with some chapter 11s. But then there's elements of him as a human being towards his people. Um, and so just the way you answered that question, is it fair to assume that he was great to his people, but just hard on you? Because maybe you were the one person in the company that was like, "Hey, no, it ain't gonna happen this way." But kind of describe him and his evolution as a person and as a leader.
2: You know, his evolution, I think, was uh, was pretty phenomenal. Uh, the sure fuse was from uh, people telling him he can't have something that he wants, like now, like now, I want it now, like you know, like a two-year, like now. But and I understand it's just a personality. I'm I'm very impatient too, but maybe just in different areas. But I think that the entire watching somebody evolve. But I think the biggest evolution happened after the second uh, chapter 11. When you get to a place where you're like, okay, clearly your way is not working. Why don't we try something else? Because you you see, when you're mentoring people, you have to be careful. If you give them a hard line with a no, they can fire you. I'm not afraid of being fired. But if they fire you, they're by themselves. They're going to hurt themselves even more now. So you have to walk the fine line of letting them be, I have to respect them as a CEO, I have to respect them as a leader, even while they're making the mistakes, and gently, kindly nurture them back to where they're supposed to be, or the the mentor that I work with, right? Like it's a fine dance with clients, sometimes they, they, they pull a switch and they get irritated, and we're like, okay, we have to slow down, we have to let them do whatever they're going to do. And so to, to maintain the relationship because they're going to hurt themselves if they pull the plug on the relationship. So there, that that's a really fine dance with that. But I think after the second bankruptcy, it was really, okay, I need to, my personality is great when I'm working out. My personality is great when I fall down and I'm quick to get up. That's fantastic. So it was all about let's learn how to apply your personality those things of your personality in a way that serves you rather than in a way that hurts you because we all have shortcomings i have mine everybody's got theirs i'm never going to fix my shortcomings but we can manipulate our shortcomings to support ourselves and our growth and our surroundings and our environment versus to hurt ourselves it's it's just a tool a shortcoming is a tool how you use it will determine the benefit and the outcome
1: yeah absolutely tremendous so, I mean, you kind of called this guy like kind of like a runner, right? Like he's going from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And like he is probably, like you said, it was that gap, right? So, like he was moving too quickly. And I would say that this is probably, I mean, obviously, you know more than me, but this is probably the number one thing that you see, right? People just getting ahead of themselves and, and running faster than their business is even built for. Because, I mean, I've done that probably 15 times in the past three years alone. Um <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's uh, and I understand. Usually, uh, small businesses, especially, are not necessarily even ran by CEOs. They're ran by entrepreneurs. CEO is also a whole different animal. They're a little bit more structured. They're more focused. They're more grounded. Entrepreneur has got a million ideas, and they're all over the place. So they get really bored being stuck in one place with one idea for more than thirty seconds. They want to do it and somebody to execute it. But when you're a small business there's not a lot of people to help you execute it. Like you're not Elon Musk. You know what I mean? He's got a whole infrastructure. If you're an entrepreneur with a handful of people, you got to be able to slow down. Otherwise it's utter chaos because your people can not catch up because an employee personality is very different than an entrepreneur personality. Completely different. Uh, I've got an online business. She's a seven-figure business right now. And she's always, what about this? What about this? I'm like, no, like, no, like everything you said, like, no, plus take away a few more things you've told me yesterday. So you have, they're, they're, they're an entrepreneur and I have to constantly tell her like, slow down. We're going to get there, but not the way that you think. So even a CEO is different than an entrepreneur, but, uh, uh, it's fascinating just to observe people, uh, Uh, with their ideas and telling them to slow down when they're like what do you mean i'm the boss i'm in charge well okay well then be in charge you know go hurt yourself and then come back to the table and we'll have a different conversation what are you going to do because sometimes you got to let them it's like with kids honestly you got to let them be stupid so they can come back and say i'm ready to talk
0: love this oh my gosh i love how candid you are this is so wonderful Let me ask you this. You talk about finding the delicate balance when you're communicating with your CEOs. You talk like sometimes I think. And I've heard a few people's feelings in my life and I'm I'm doing my best. I feel like I'm a recovering person who's candid. And I don't want to lose being honest with people because that's important. But can you give us an example? Like walk us through a conversation. You realize you got one of these people. Are you telling them what you're telling us exactly the way you're telling us? How do you soften, if any, that actual conversation? Because... You know, people who go into business, real estate, whatever business you're in, especially if you're going to be a leader or a CEO or a founder, you have to have tons of conversations that are unpleasant. And so, I would love, since you're doing this all the time, walk us through what, like, like exactly the way you approach one of these conversations.
2: It's the, the foundation of the relationship. If I've been with you for 10 years and you have history with me of always having your back. I can tell you, listen, you're just being an idiot. Let's, let's take the shortcut to the solution. You're being an idiot. This is stupid. Let's do this. But you have 10 years of experience with me, having your back and having hard conversations and supporting you and helping your wife when she's falling apart because she's afraid and taking care. But if it's somebody brand new, it's, um, the conversation has to be different. It's really, again, based on the relationship. It's Yes. And I've had so many conversations when new people sign up, you know, they, they need support. It's they're like, I feel stupid. I've said, I've made so many mistakes. I'm not going to tell them, well, obviously you're an idiot. I mean, who does that? Right. But I can tell them, I understand. And I see, first of all, I honor you and I respect you for being aware of the mistakes you've made. These are clearly not the best decisions for the company, but I completely understand that you did the best that you could the needs of the company outgrew your knowledge base. Lucky for you, we're here now. So you see, it's a different conversation. I acknowledge that they've made a ton of mistakes, but at the same time, it kind of softens the blow with the other part of it. I Respecting them as the leader, I always come in with respect, respecting them for the fact that they're asking for help because a lot of men feel terrible for asking for help. I've had a lot of those conversations, so I have to kind of cuddle that a little bit. So it's based on the relationship. I'm very direct. Coddling is not my style, honestly makes my brain hurt. But at the beginning of the relationship, you have to do those things because primarily if people feel like you are degrading them, they're shut down. Like it's game over. It's completely game over. And again, most of it is men. There's the ego at play. I wasn't born yesterday. I understand the dance. So it's just a fine line and I'm good at establishing relationships fast. And the, the faster I establish this relationship, they're like, you're always for me. You've never advised me against anything that was even for your benefit. It's always my benefit. You've negotiated amazing things for me. Clearly, you're for me. And they get to a point where they just ask me, give it to me straight, because that really shortens the time of the cuddling and all that stuff. Like I can say what I need to say in five seconds and be done with it. So a lot of it is the relationship. A lot of it is respecting the person sitting in front of you. A lot of it is understanding the fear that they're going through. We're talking about millions in debt. There's a lot of fear. Not a lot of people can hold it. So I never lo- lose the human aspect. I never forget that at the end of the day, I'm speaking to a human being. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care what their title is. I'm sitting across soul to soul, human to human. And that, that allows me quickly to say anything I want to say. When they really see that I see them as a human being first and foremost, then they completely kind of take their armor off. That's when the magic happens
1: oh absolutely i mean i could just i could tell just talking to you now i mean i already feel it right i mean i mean you haven't really directly attacked anything but i mean (laughs) you've already corrected a lot of things or you've pointed out things that i'm probably doing wrong um you've pointed out a very important you, you mentioned something just previously um like the entrepreneur you separated from the ceo so do you think every entrepreneur needs a ceo Or or what does that look like for the people that live in the land of the ideas, which, I mean, me and Matt are definitely both those types of people. um, What is the best way for them to stay creatively engaged, but still be able to keep growing?
2: To have somebody who can... uh slow them down for a second and point out all of the things because an entrepreneur the head is in the clouds a lot of the times it's a dreamer they have a million ideas and they're good ideas they're not bad ideas but having 20 ideas at the same time uh, typically is not going to work out because now it's just a mess of ideas right so i suggest having somebody next to next to the entrepreneur who can say okay let me give you a different perspective let me give you a different perspective so just to give an example uh, this, uh, this global brand I'm working with, uh, the online, an online business when she just hired me, which was perfect timing, uh, people wanted to, um, not lease, but when you give the rights to people to sell your products and, uh, license, license her structure, and I said, terrible idea. And I gave her the, the, the reasons why. She was like, oh my God, I'm going to license. We're going to be in multiple countries, in multiple languages. Like she got just entrepreneur excited. I said, you got to slow down. This is not a good idea. I said, you're in a place right now. You're at seven figures. I see as an eight, eight figure brand. I said, we got to build equity, a brand equity. So before you start giving pieces of yourself and your company out of your brand, house said, you don't have a history with this person. And now three months into it, she's like, thank you. I was about to give away things that I'm not ready to give away. So now instead of doing it, we're bringing different languages and facilitators under the umbrella of the brand and exponentially growing the brand and building brand equity while I'm pulling her more out of the company and other people can facilitate so she can do other things. So I think the power of having an outside perspective for an entrepreneur, because entrepreneurs move so fast is somebody who says, great, great i mean your ideas are fantastic and they're exciting but do we have the infrastructure to support them are we moving too fast can we execute three at the same time somebody not a negative nally next to you but somebody who really points out the logical side of it because entrepreneurs are just they're creatives emotional creatives but their logic has to come to play
0: awesome there's two things i want to guide us into So one of the things, and maybe the first, is you mentioned earlier in the episode that you had imposter syndrome. You have this personality that has this energy, this force, this intuition, like it's a very strong, powerful personality. And an imposter syndrome is almost the opposite side of that spectrum. So were you acting softly in the beginning as you felt the imposter syndrome? Or were you able to break through, like kind of describe, like, I mean, I just see you so bold, like, did you have to step into that?
2: I think I, I mean, I was 24. I think a lot of it has to do with age. Um, But also what I'm really, really, really good at is I'm able to separate my emotions from my actions. How I feel does not impact what I do. If that makes sense. So my imposter syndrome, and I think this is where a lot of people struggle their entire life reflects how they feel. My life is a collection of my actions, not my emotions and my feelings, if that makes sense. And I think as we get older, we naturally, hopefully for most of us or all, we get wiser. So a lot of it came. But again, by taking action and creating histor- self-manufacturing historical evidence that I'm good at what I do, that what I do works and people respect me and all those things, it builds your, uh, your self-trust. It's all taking action. It's building historical evidence and just giving it time. And my, my actions are never driven by my emotions. Maybe earlier I was younger, but I've always been very logical and how I feel has nothing to do what I do. It has nothing to do with needs to get done in the moment. Like those are as, as separate as day and night. And that's a great skill for people to acquire. I think because it's going to help them move faster because again, People run on emotion. Emotional decisions are just not profitable in relationships, in business, in friendships. They're just not good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I totally hear you on, on emotion can really cloud things in business. It can be very helpful in personal life, but in business, it can it can cloud things up for sure. So when you're describing your position, it seems to ring with a sense of like, if you've heard of EOS and Rocket Fuel and the Integrator and you know, visionary, which is kind of one of the buzz words and books and systems out there today for businesses. It, It seems to me like you love to play the role of the integrator. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term or those books, but essentially the concept is you have one person in the company, the visionary, that's coming up with all the ideas. And then you have one person in the company that's kind of doing what you're doing. Hey, that's stupid. We'll do this instead. Or, hey, out of your 200 ideas, these one or two have some merit. Given that sort of structure like, do you feel like it's best in a company to have someone like you either, you know, as a partner, as a coach or something, and then should the visionary be the visionary? Like, should the visionary be the CEO and what we would call the integrator, or should they just really specialize by just letting, like creating a thousand ideas and letting the company decide which ones are best? I
2: think the uh, an entrepreneur is never going to be completely a CEO. That's just not the animal. That's not the wiring but they need to understand the function, of, the function of a CEO. They still need to know how to read their numbers. They still need to look at their list of clients and say, these clients don't pay on time. Maybe I need to either raise their prices or I need to fire them. They still need to know how to make profitable decisions for their business. Otherwise, they just become a liability who brings problems in.
0: So so one more question I had. Like, what, what type of volume does a company need to be at to bring in... Someone like you, like is it a ten million dollar company, a two million dollar company? What's kind of the threshold for you to feel like, okay, this makes sense for me to come in and help this company?
2: You know, I've never touched anything on over twenty million, but anything under, I just love business so much. And for me, it's not even the business; it's the person. If they're gonna fight and argue with me all the way, I'm just not interested, to be honest with you. But if they're gonna show up to the table, have intelligent conversations, be willing to listen, I'll work with them. I don't care. I just don't care to argue with anybody. I mean, totally. You know, I hear you. On I've that. got two kids. Done, like, I'm like, I'm argued out at this point.
1: <laughs> I hear you. Absolutely. And actually, yeah, I mean, like Matt, I mean, I actually, I love your candor. Um, I mean, it's actually, yeah, I mean, it's, it's extremely engaging. So Regina, like, what is your vision for like the next 12 months? What are you guys working on?
2: So I've moved in the last three years more to work with uh, online entrepreneurs and um, I love building out masterminds for online entrepreneurs. I'll still take offline businesses. I love business. Online entrepreneurs are a whole different animal, a little bit slower, a lot slower, actually. So I love the offline offline businesses. Uh, part of the things that uh, I'm kind of thinking in the background, to be honest with you, is acquiring some of these companies that are failing. So uh, that's I, I just love the business, acquiring them, even some thoughts of uh, putting together a, f- a few companies that are like different locations nationwide, put them under one umbrella franchise. Cause it's easy. You, you, you pick the same industry, you just put them under one name and, and now you've got a franchise, you know what I mean? So or you got a global, bro- or you got a, a nationwide company now. I mean, how simple is that? So um, that's literally so definitely something I'm looking into. I just love business.
1: Wow. And that is so evident just talking with you. Um, this has been absolutely amazing. Anybody listening, like, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? If they're perhaps somebody starting an online business that needs some guidance, or maybe they have a failing company, obviously you could be their knight in shining armor. What would be the best way to get in touch with you?
2: LinkedIn, social media, just my name facebook instagram the-
1: tremendous all that will be in the show notes um regina i mean this has been just absolutely spectacular i want to thank you so much for sharing everything that you have giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business and being so candid um it's just been such a great experience um to those of you out there chasing freedom freedom is acquired one action at a time so go commit to taking that action write it down do it within the next seven days and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable Before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Take care. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show.